Okay, test that's working. That is a good start. Good morning. Great to see you all. If you don't know my name already, my name is Ben, and um, I have the, the privilege to try to explain that Bible reading that Tom has just read to us. Christopher McCallus, he was a suburban college graduate who hitchhiked deep into the Alaskan wilderness in the year 1992 to live by himself forever. He was disenfranchised by the world around him with the rise of capitalism and the abusive nature of his parents' marriage. McAllister sought a lifestyle that was void of relationships as he would pursue a simple life in the wild. You may have seen the film a couple of years ago. It was called Into the Wild. It was directed by Sean Penn. But anyway, for some 16 weeks, McAllister would live in an abandoned bus, as you can see there in the picture, and he would survive off the rice he brought with him, as well as foraging local plant life and shooting small game like squirrels and geese. But his supplies dried up, and the route that he took into the wilderness was now impossible to go back on. He eventually came to his death after being found by a hunter. His body only weighed 30 kilograms. Now, the McAllister story is a tragic one, and none of us would consider it a valid lifestyle choice for we've all seen the value of being part of a community. Today we're going to be thinking about the idea of community and the value of coming together, being together. I imagine each one of us participates in several different communities, whether that be a work community or a family community, a schooling community, a gym community, a sporting community, even an online gaming community. So what is it that brings us together as a church community rather than adopting a life as a hermit like Well, the truth at a very simple level is that we are built for community. It is something that's been hardwired into us. So to ignore that will only cause us more harm than good. You may recall in the Bible, we find a man, Adam, who is all by himself, but rather than being in the Alaskan wilderness, Adam is in a garden. And God looked upon him and he knew that it wasn't good for man to be alone. He needed a suitable helper. So God gave him a job. He would present to him all the animals of the fields and the birds of the air, and Adam's job was to name them. And every time an animal or bird would come to him, Adam was thinking to himself, could this be someone I could form a friendship with? And every time the answer was no. There was no beast of the field or birds of the air that was suitable. Just put that down there. Then God formed woman from the rib of man. This was God's suitable helper for man. And man rejoiced in God providing him with a new mate. See, God the designer knew that Humans needed someone to be in community with, and so he provided. And this desire of seeking friendship lives inside all of us. I think it's really important to note that this companion shouldn't be exclusively seen in finding a marriage partner. But as humans, God has created us to be in community. Now, it's not surprising that if that is true, that the science part of it will also be true. And for the last 75 years, Harvard has been conducting a study on human development. The study started with 724 men, where the researchers would interview these men on how their life is going. And today, 60 men are still alive in their 90s, still participating. 
And the study has now widened to include now their wives and their children. And one of the main findings in this study is that social connection are good for us. It's actually healthy for us. But loneliness actually kills us. The study found that those who are most satisfied with their relationships in their 50s were the healthiest when they were in their 80s. But finding genuine community is becoming harder in a world that who still desires it. For we know that community can be a great source of pain. Leaders can have selfish desires, manipulating whole groups of people. Rumours and politics in a community might make it highly undesirable for anyone to be involved, and churches aren't immune from that. But also our own prejudices make community undesirable, for we can be people who shy away from some people due to association, but show favouritism to others. Being in community also is just greatly inconvenient. As people, we're becoming more time poor, and so investing in other people can mean that something else needs to give up. We need to give up, and that's something sometimes we don't really want to do. So overall, being in community, it's hard, and so consequently, we just look for convenient communities. Um, It's not surprising that more people in our slice of history now are living by themselves than ever before. But also, we know from the last 10 years that social media has rocketed. We can feel connected with people without the inconvenience of inquiring about their life or being a genuine friend. But all this has left us in a worse place. For just as people are tending to be isolated from community has only resulted in well, a raft of health concerns. Um, American researchers into this topic have seen this. They've said this, that limiting social media use to about 30 minutes per day decreases depression and loneliness amongst university students, whereas high uses of electronic communication and screen is correlated more generally with a decrease in self-esteem, life satisfaction and happiness for young people. Loneliness is now a health epidemic, epidemic, as research, research has indicated, that it's the root cause of a sweep of different mental health um, issues, such as depression, anxiety, violence and drug abuse. So we may be built for community, but this doesn't make community appealing. What we're seeing is that when community becomes toxic, that leaves everyone in a worse place. So, in light of all that, what is the motivation to gather in community? What is it that could possibly bring us all together? Well, the answer is seen in Paul's writing to another toxic community in the first century. For the church that um, Paul is writing to couldn't be any worse. Within this community, there are divisions over who their leader is. There is rampant sexual immorality, which is not even seen among those outside the church. They are also a greedy, gluttonous church, for when they come together to drink and eat, no one is willing to share their food or their belongings. And above all, they are an arrogant, proud church who show no regard to anyone else other than themselves. And in chapter 13, Paul is tackling this church's propensity to boast about their giftings in particular. This gifting is the supernatural kind of speaking in tongues and gaining prophecy. Now, what I imagined if I were to be present in a church in Corinth, um, it would look like people in that congregation would gallivant these supernatural gifts in front of me 
so that they would think highly of themselves in my eyes. Now that's a love for self rather than a love for others. So Paul instead of so Paul instead is urging them to love each other. And his point on this matter is clear, and it's this love for self will come to nothing. But love for others will last forever. I'm going to repeat it. Love for self will come to nothing, but love for others will last forever. You can see that in verses 1 to 3, where Paul states that you could do the most impressive things imaginable. He gives um, a whole lot of different examples, but um, examples in our own context could be we could be people who build a soup kitchen, or we could be um, a philanthropist, or we could donate all our money to the poor. But what Paul is saying is that if it's not done in love, then your actions are like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So the noise will be around for a short term, short time, but it is going to pass. There will be silence again. For it's possible to do all these things out of a love for self and not at all be interested in the people who need your help, despite what it might seem. And in that sense, Paul would say that your love is going to come to nothing. Whereas in verse 8, Paul says, love never ends. It sounds so poetic, doesn't it? Love never ends. Even the good gifts which God has given us to us now, as prophecy and speaking in tongues, they will cease, for they are just temporary gifts for this temporary world. But love never ends. So why is one love, a love for self, this is the key question I want us to think through, why is a love for self going to pass away? whereas a love for others is going to last forever? That's a question I want us to think about. And the answer is seen in Jesus, as he's ushered a love that the world has never seen. When Jesus entered our world, he lived a life for others. When 5,000 people followed him to hear him teach in a remote area, he didn't send them off in their hunger, but he had compassion on them and he fed them. When two blind men on the side of the road shouted to him, Son of David, have mercy on us. He had compassion on them and he healed their sight. When Jesus landed on the shore to be encountered by a man with an impure spirit, he went about healing him by casting those spirits into a group of pigs. As a miracle worker, he constantly worked to show love for others and this love cultivated in his death. For this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When God looked at us, the most obvious thing that needed fixing was our sin. It wasn't our blindness and it wasn't our hunger. It wasn't that we had an impure spirit inside of us. It was our sin. For our sin represents the love we have for ourselves. It's exactly the opposite of the love that Jesus showed. For love thinks of the other, whereas sin only thinks of itself. And this this was never how we were meant to live. So Jesus went to the cross to take away the very thing that made us not love properly. You could say at the cross there was a showdown between the one who represents love, Jesus, and our sin. And the power of sin that's seen in all of our eventual deaths, couldn't put Jesus down. He rose to life three days later. For love, the power of love, the power of love in this man found a way. 
For if our sin did defeat Jesus, then love will ultimately come to an end. But the one who is love overcame sin. So back to that question. Why is love for self going to pass away, whereas the love for others is going to last forever? The answer is this. Because the author of true love, Jesus, doesn't come to an end. When Jesus was here on earth, he left us with a promise that one day he will return and reestablish the love for our world, where those who have only loved themselves will come to an end, whereas those who have had faith in Jesus will one day be able to love how they were supposed to. Give me a second. <coughs> At that moment in our slice of history now, we kind of see things imperfectly. We know things partially in that sense we're kind of like children, even though some of us would identify as adults. We haven't reached our full potential. But when we do come face to face with Jesus, then we're going to see things the way they really should be. We will fully grow up to what we were intended to be. Have a look there in your Bibles at verse 12. Um, Paul mentions this idea of a mirror. He says, it's like looking into a mirror. But don't picture you know, a mirror that you would have in your home, one of those modern day mirrors. For mirrors weren't that clear in the ancient world. It would have been the equivalent of looking into a spoon. What he's saying is that we all have our good moments in which we love purely, but we aren't always clear in our motives in love. In that sense, it's like looking into a spoon. It's dimly. Our love is, well, it's, it's not always pure. But one day, we will no longer be people who live love half-heartedly. We will love just as he has loved us. Our love will be, will, it will be a clear reflection as in looking in a mirror. In verse 13, in that same passage, Paul finishes this section by quoting that faith, hope and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And the question is, why is love greater than faith and hope? Because when we are face to face and have fully grown to reach our true potential, then faith and hope will be no longer. See, in the next world, there is no room for hope, for our hope has been fulfilled. We have nothing to hope in. There's no need to have faith, for our faith has come to fruition. But love, love will continue. For there is plenty of room for love in heaven. When God has set things right and and he is... and our hearts have been restored, then all we're going to be able to do is love God and love our neighbour. That's what heaven is. It's a picture of loving one another. That's why it's never going to end. That's your future. Your future, if you're in Christ, is to be someone who loves. At the start of the sermon, we raised the question, what is it that brings us together as a community? And the answer is this. We come together as a community to show each other love that Jesus has ushered into our world and will continue in the next. And we do this now in the present to practice what we'll be doing in eternity. Uh, Put up your hand if you're a Hamish and Andy fan. I think it's no secret that I'm a Hamish and Andy fan. Um, And uh, in one of their gags from probably about 10 years ago now, Hamish thought it'd be funny to participate in a bodybuilding competition in New York. That's him there, second to the right, with all those um, men who clearly work out. And um, if you know anything from that picture, Hamish's body 
looks like, you know, he hasn't got the physique to really win this competition. Um, I'm sure he didn't train or prepare. He entered the competition late in the piece, and he did this. Well, he did this as a laugh. And consequently, he scored badly by the judges. He didn't, you could say, prepare for his future. See, for what the future holds shapes how we practice in the present. And as we have seen, our future is to love, and so we should shape, so our community here at church should be shaped around love. You may have um, noticed that I've, um, I didn't look at verses 4 to 7, but you know, as people, we do all know the power of love towards another person. See, when someone is kind, who isn't overbearing, insisting on a particular way, who doesn't rejoice at your wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth, as a person, don't you feel valued? Don't you feel respected? Don't you feel honoured? For the root of love is to honour that other person, as if you were that person. See, that was the ingredient needed in community life in Corinth, and it's the ingredient that we need in our church community now. But today, you might like to consider how you're going in the business of loving others. See, the key to loving someone, I think, is just getting to know them. It's to know where they grew up. It's to know who's in their family. It's to know what they're passionate about. But it's more than that. It's also when, also when life is tough, what they're finding to be stressful, what they're struggling with, how you can be a person that prays for them. For the more you know someone, the better you're able to love them. And loving someone well is simple as being a good friend. So how are you going at befriending those here in our own church community? That's something I want you to think about. As a church, we think that loving each other in community is vitally important. And this year, we're going to be starting something new, um, which facilitates the ability to show love to each other, just as I've suggested above. Once a month, we're going to arrange a time to get to know each other and our stories Often on a Sunday morning, we can be busy together and we don't have the space to pause and to chat. So this time will be a chance to invest in each other. So stay tuned for more details about this in the month of February. I'll be speaking more about it. One final thing to say, um, but sometimes we can feel that if we do put ourselves out there, then no one is anyone ever going to love us in return. And you may have already been down that road before. You may have already been felt burnt out by that. The idea just to be a constant doormat and not receiving anything in in return. I can empathise with that. That must be really hard. But I do want to say one thing. Remember that there's always going to be one person who will love you. It may not be anyone here at church, which I hope won't happen. but But you do have a Heavenly Father who loves you greatly. And it's his love, which is all you need. Just before his uh, death, Christopher McAllister wrote this quote in his notebook. Happiness is only real when shared. He realised the foolishness in his lifestyle choice. So let us be people who share ourselves with one another in our own church community. Thanks, Craig.